Hello. Hello. All right, morning, church. How's everyone doing? All right. Let's start off uh, this morning uh, in our service with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, um, the weight of this truth of the freedom that you've given us through your heavenly deed, through your sacrificial deed on the cross, um, has given us a freedom that we could never have on our own, a freedom that can set us free from any bondage of sin, from any system of injustice. Lord, we are thankful for that freedom. I pray, O oh God, that um, that this passage, that, that, that your word would speak life to our community and to our church, that it would even refine and convict us of our inconsistencies, of our wavering of this freedom that we have in you. Lord, I pray, O oh God, that my words and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight in this place. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come here on earth, and yet your will would be done. We pray that your spirit would continue to move in our lives as it did before. Lord, I pray this, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, if you've noticed, the title of this sermon is Identity Theft. And I don't know if you've ever experienced maybe someone taking your identity for advantage. Um, for me as a kid, uh, my sisters would always make fun of me, um, tried to mock me of uh, how I looked. Uh, I was a really, I was a chubby kid and um, had... I was a pretty weird kid, uh, <laughs> and so I, I get it. Like, um, I was, it was my first time here in America, and I was just trying to follow every accent uh, that Americans would use. You know, I'd come home, I'd have a country accent because we'd live in the suburbs of Slidell. When we moved to New Orleans, I'd come home and be like, yo, Dad, what's up? You know, and so I was just trying to figure out what American accents were, and I figured out... I didn't even know who I was, like, you know, and it's, it's kind of a weird thing now because I'm Asian-American, but when I'm with Asians a lot, I feel more American. When I'm in, with American people, I feel more Asian, and so God's doing some work in me. And, um, but whenever, you, whenever you're put in a position when you don't know who you are and you're, you're into this faith, especially when it's foreign to you, it's sometimes easier for those who know the faith to obstruct it and to counterfeit the truth that can produce things that seem the almost truth but are actually false. And here we find, as, as Trent and John, as we've preached in Galatians, this, this voice, this prophetic voice of Paul saying, go back to the finished work of Christ. Because there are those preachers who preach a gospel that's law-centered but one that produces not freedom, but slavery. And in our culture today, we find so many competitive voices. We find voices in our homes of who we are. We find voices in our culture and social media, in the, in, in the, in the government of how we should act. But Paul gives us at least three things here that centers our attention to hearing the voice of God. And not just hearing it in silence, 
but speaking on the truth in loudness and boldness so that those who we reach out to, we can breathe life into, not because of what we do, but because of the freedom that God has given us. We are now unlocked. The Spirit is working in us so that no fear can hinder us. No boundaries can eliminate our love and the work of God in us. Amen? You see, a lot of times when we think of these preachers uh, in Paul's day as just preaching the Word of God, but um, these, these false gospels, but today we have these culture speakers, these social speakers, and perhaps speak, uh, these preachers in our own homes who continue to tell us who we are, our identities. And sometimes we can find ourselves, especially as a kid, you know, when all these influences, our friends, families, we can find ourselves in a bind. As a teenager growing up and trying to becoming your own, the question of who, who really am I? Who is the church? Who are we? And Paul, as a good preacher would, points us back to what Christ says we are of the work of Christ in us. You see, in this time period, uh, this specific time, this was a critical time for Christianity. There are preachers who would say, once you've believed in Christ, well, there is this additional part, be circumcised. It was still sort of a Jewish faith. It was a law-centered gospel. In some ways, it was a gospel that had walls around it, boundaries around it to enter into becoming the people of God. Paul heard what the word, uh, heard what the Spirit was doing and acted upon it, which was saying that no longer would this religion, this faith, be restricted to a, an ethnic group, but it was going to move into the Gentiles. This word of God, this move of the Spirit was not going to be stopped. This move of the Spirit was going to work into all people groups. Amen? And so when Paul heard this gospel that was centered around, around the law, he got frustrated because he knew this isn't where God, the Spirit, was moving towards. We find here, church, that the first couple words of Paul in verse 21 are words that, well, we can kind of understand in some, way, in some ways. He says in verse 21, if you look in your Bibles or in the screen, he says, tell me to the Galatians, do you want to be under the law? Or tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? And he goes on to say, for it is written, and he summarizes the, the, the story of Hagar and Sarah. But, but Paul is, is saying a couple things here just by, the word, just by the first verse itself. He is um, he's sort of projecting um, not just those who are wanting to, to follow the law, those who are wanting to add this part of the gospel, but he's saying this very, this very centered question of what does the Spirit of God say? What does the Scripture say? Right? Because these Galatians were listening to this false gospel, these false preachers. But Paul immediately points to the issue, and what, what he says is what does the actual law or the Scripture say here? 
And immediately when these voices, these competitive voices bring somewhat truths in our lives, right? You'll do this to succeed. The first question we must ask to ourselves is what does God say in, through our living word? What does the scripture say? Amen? Later on, he says not only about, about switching to this law-centered gospel, but he says the same words when he advises what the Galatians should do about this false gospel. You see, church, Paul's initial question raises about how we should engage the false teachings in our world, the, the things that we know are wrong, the things that we hear. He tells us and he tries to, 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 to calm and center the Galatians and say, yes, be listeners of culture. Yes, listen to, to, to what people are saying around you, but the priority of who you should be listening to at all times is the living word of God, the voice of God himself. Amen? Whenever there's confusion, whenever there's disarray, there is still life in the living word of God. And perhaps we are in this position, perhaps we're in the position of Galatians where we find this really nuanced, this new um, fad, um, what seems to be right. And perhaps we are in this position, perhaps we're in the position of Galatians where we find this really nuance, this new um, fad, um, what seems to be right. And then there is this uh, Paul figure in our life who's prophetic and says, no, that's not right. And we're in this bind. Perhaps this word of Paul saying, what does the scripture actually say could help us out? In, verse, in, ver in, in the preceding verses, Paul makes um, these contrasts, right? Uh, when, when Trent was talking about it earlier, he um, makes a comparison between Hagar and Sarah, right? And he makes a comparison between Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael and Isaac were the two sons of Abraham, right? And if we look at these, these, uh, the, the scripture um, in verse 22, uh, the word of God says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, right? One by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Verse 23, his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born on the result of divine promise. Now, the important part here is not necessarily the status of, of Hagar as a slave woman or Sarah as a free woman, but here. Paul is emphasizing the divine promise. Where Hagar and Ishmael was produced by Abraham's unfaithfulness and unbelief of God's promise, that he went according to his flesh, whereas Sarah and his offspring was according to God's plan and God's promise. Paul makes these uh, contrasts to suggest that this, uh, that, that the descendants of Hagar and Ishmael were according to the law and that they're children of slaves and that this very um, offspring is what the present Jerusalem is doing, that, th that this culture of saying, doing the work of the law is actually enslaving the people of God, that they were restricting who were to be the people of God. 
And in contrast, Paul wants us to be reminded that God's promise through Abraham flows throughout the course of history and is fulfilled through Christ. And if we who believe in Christ, and if we believe and if we who believe in Christ and believe that he suffered and he died on the cross for us and on the third day he rose again, then that is enough for us to be the people of God. That there would be no requirement of circumcision or of the law to bind us. That there would be no someone in the front of the church that has a checklist of what you need to be in the church, amen? But that the finished work of God, the finished work of Christ would be enough for people to gather in the church and to be people of God. You see, sometimes church, we can add a lot of things to the gospel. We can add prejudices or things that naturally are in our culture. For instance, in my island, it's kind of a funny story, but it's actually um, kind of a, a really bad thing. We have this word, I don't know if I told you guys this, but we have this word in my island. It's called, uh, the, the word is maksakul. And in our island, it's translated thank you. So it's a very you know, respectful thank you. But in our rival island, just 10 miles um, north of us, that same word means, do you want to fight me? And, and, and you find out that th throughout history that this is, this is uh, they made this word because there was a lot of conflict, that these were natural boundaries that happened in this island or these sets of islands. And so when I go to, when I try to, or when I'm near my place, I'm kind of, I always have to, okay, who am I talking to here? Because I don't want to I don't want to be punched or I don't want to get hurt or anything like that. But we find this same issue when we go to a place or we know a community that there's these natural boundaries. Maybe it's in our languages. Maybe it's, it's this distrust between a certain people groups. But it's these natural boundaries that Paul directly speaks to. It's even these natural boundaries that we may think is impossible to crush. But he's saying that the only way we can crush and put down these walls is with God's gospel himself, with God himself, with the work and the redeeming work of, of Christ himself. And as we see here, um, the following verse in, uh, let's see here, the following vo vo verse in 30 here, following verse in 30 but what the scriptures say, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the, with the free woman's son. We find here that Paul starts this, the verse with what the scriptures say again. He uses the scripture in Genesis to reiterate the fact that you are of the free woman, that you are no longer enslaved to the work of the law, that you are free because of what Christ has done for you, right? Now, Trent mentioned that freedom is, before that, freedom is not just you could do whatever you want, right? That this freedom was initiated by the work of Christ and that we can only do the work of the Christ or we'll only do the work of Christ with his freedom that he's given us, with the grace of God. But church, these additions to our uh, to the gospel, these natural boundaries in our culture, in our churches, 
the, 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 the spiritual segregation that we have in our assumptions, Paul says, get rid of the slave woman in the church. And this could be hard for us, right? Because we're so, we're so, we're so normalized to it. We're, 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 um, we're comfortable with it, right? But here Paul tells us something that's actually rather hard for us to digest. He says that adding something to the freedom of Christ, we are choosing slavery. And Paul's response emphatically is, get it out of here. There is no place in that in our church. When there is false gospels, when there's someone trying to reshape our identity into, into something that is opposed to the identity of Christ, we have to be a church, we have to be leaders in a church that's somewhat prophetic. We have to be quick to say no. That, that, um, that, uh, that behavior, that addition to the gospel has no place here. And sometimes that's a conviction to me because if, if anybody guys know me, I'm not, I don't have a loud voice like Trent, right? His, his, probably, his, me, his medium voice is like my loudest voice <laughs> I can ever do. I'm um, just telling you guys that. Um, and we can kind of think, how in the world can God use us when we have a small voice? How in the world can God use us when we think we're just a small church here in Waco, Texas? And the one thing I've realized is people with little hearts who are filled with perhaps hatred, misunderstanding, try to couple down those with big hearts. And we have to remember that if God's heart was so big through Jesus Christ that he could give freedom to those who were bondage and sin, to the leopards where nobody would go out to, to the woman who was hurt and did not have anyone, then certainly he can work in our hearts. Certainly he can work in this community. But church, we have to remove the slave woman that, that spiritual bondage in our church, perhaps, that Paul is saying and that God is telling us, no, it does not have any place in here. Maybe that's God speaking to us in terms of issues of people who are different from us, people who are going through different things, which, whether that's social, racial divides. God is saying, fight for justice, fight for those who are lost, do the work of Christ, right? Because just because, God, just because Christ has given you freedom doesn't mean you just stay there and say, I'm free, right? Because Christ has given you freedom from sin, that actually initiates and the Spirit is pulling you to the world that is broken, to the world that needs freedom, amen? And so, that final verse in uh, 31, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul and God is calling us, if we are truly freed by Christ, stand firm in that. He's changing the culture of the Galatians. He's telling the Galatians, you sell yourself short by just listening to these competitive voices. You know the gospel that changed your life. You know the freedom that Christ has given you. Do not settle for anything less than that. What Paul was doing to the Galatians 
was he was making them into a prophetic community. That Paul was not just the one who was the messenger, but those who would hear the message will go out to the community and be the messengers themselves. That they would witness to their families that the kingdom of God would come. That they would go to their friends who would sit, who would be sick, and say, God is good and he will heal you. And he, that, 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 there would be this, that there would be this hope in the church that, 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 that's not founded on false doctrine, that's not founded on things you can't grab on, but there is a hope that's founded in the resurrection itself. That if, you, that if we see brokenness and death in our communities, that the power of the resurrection says it will be raised again in the name of Jesus Christ. See, the church, see, church, ultimately at the end, um, in the Gospels, Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the disciples responded with all these things. But I wonder if we actually reverted that question back to the church, if we were to ask Jesus, Jesus, who do you say we are? If we were, if we asked Jesus right now, the work that we're doing, the, the, the faith, the grace that we have in him, if he, he were to look into the eyes of our church and if, if he would give us the description, would he say that we are living out the fullness of his freedom? Would he say that we are reaching out to those who are hopeless? Would he say we're trying our hardest, that we're with him with the spirit, and that we could not be stopped by it? You see, Christ liberating and redeeming deed on the cross helps us recapture who we are. That our identity in Christ cannot be taken away by culture. It cannot be taken away by our situations. It cannot be taken away by what people say bad about us. But that our identity in Christ will always be freed because Christ, his work will never be broken. His work will never be, be removed in our life. Freedom, the freedom of God the freedom that Christ has given to us is worth proclaiming. It's worth standing by. So right now, church, the, the, the application that I want to, 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 to sort of proclaim to us is that that promise of Abraham, that promise of God through Jesus Christ are, is in us, is in the church. That promise that proclaims the word through all, that proclaims restoration to those who are broken, that proclaims healing to those who are sick. It's in us all. God wants us to reach out to the world, not because we have to, but because there is this light, this fire that is burning within us. There is this freedom that God has set in our hearts that no one can take away. Church, as, as we think and reflect upon the things that we have in our heads, maybe the assumptions, the prejudices, whatever they may be, we need to get rid of that and let the freedom of God actually flow in us. This is not a time to revert back to slavery. We are children of the free. We are free people indeed. If Christ has set us free, then we are truly free indeed. Let us walk into the world as free people as people who are not afraid of hate, who are not afraid of proclaiming the truth, but people, because of the work and the sacrifice of Christ, 
live a life that is bold. Live a life that seeks truth. Live a life that goes to the broken, to the sick, to the weak, and say that there is a God who is strong, that there is a God who is here with us. As we sing the song, I Will Follow, let it be a reminder to us, a question, a challenge to our hearts. Will we follow the move of the Spirit? Will we follow God himself? Or will we choose the voices of this world? Will we choose the false gospel that restricts God's move in our hearts? Let's stand and let's um, reflect upon God's word and let's ask God to move in our lives.